Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So you're you're going to Lala this year, right, Lindsay? I actually think this might be the first year in almost like a decade that I'm not going. <laughs> decade. <laughs> You've been going since you were eleven. <laughs> Well, I think I've been going for like seven years in a row. You played the Kids Rock stage at noon <laughs> on on the uh, on the Sunday date of uh, 2003. The day I turned 13, I was like, I don't want to bought mitzvah, mom and dad. I want to go to Lala. <laughs> I just want to be in School of Rock. <laughs> um, no, I really do. I think this would have been like my seventh or eighth year. Um, but the Oshiega lineup, I think it's in Montreal, is actually rivaling. Lollapalooza for me so I might switch it up a little bit and try that instead. What's going on in Oceaga? Uh, I believe it's Florence and the Machine, Arctic Monkeys who will also be at Lollapalooza and I can't remember it's escaping me right now but the lineup is just a little more different. The experience would be a little more different so I might be swayed. Is it one of those bilingual festivals where because of uh local Canadian arts ordinances, a certain percentage <laughs> of the performers have to be singing in French. I, is that even a real thing? That's They do that on Canadian radio. Really? On like, like public Canadian radio and college radio. I had no idea. I wonder if that is carried over into the festivals. I'm not sure. Well, if you hear Alex Turner singing in French, that's Ooh. why. <laughs> I think I'd Too pass hot. out soon after. <laughs> Oh, I actually spoke to him recently. Oh, how was he? Um, it was great. That was like a bucket list interview for me, for sure. Um, and I think whenever you do an interview like that, all you can really hope for is that they're nice and, um, you know, like forthcoming in their responses. And he definitely was. Um, he's very big on obscure references. And <laughs> I had to do a lot of side Googling. But yeah, it was a great conversation. And the album is super good very different um, and I think it will surprise people but in a good way Ooh, Lindsay Haven's just dropping teasers for what's to come oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> when can we expect that uh, I believe the album is out May 11th well when can we expect the interview ah, even sooner um, the interview is coming out in the next issue of the magazine so on this Thursday actually yeah I don't know when this podcast is going to post, but... On This Is Thursday. Oh, This Is wow. Thursday. That issue you guys. right now. <laughs> that's the same That's the same issue with my Paramore interview, right? Yeah. It's the same way. Yeah, this, this, See, Payne this, and this, I this, are there, just... There we go. There we go. Interviewing all our faves. Yeah, so this week's podcast is another Meet Me in the Bathroom inspired episode. I'm talking about Lizzie Goodman's fantastic early 2000s rock and roll in New York City history book. Last week, we had Albert Hammond Jr. of the Strokes on. This week, it's another uh, legend of the uh, the early 2000s, even late 90s NYC rock scene. It's Walter Martin, who played the, uh, the organ in a seminal band. If you read the book, this band really did kickstart really the root of the whole thing before the Strokes. A band called Jonathan Fire Eater which I just sort of learned all about them from the book. They were before my time, kind of slipped by. I was really into his later band, The Walkman, As who I. we talked about a lot. Love The Walkman. Uh, Walter was a great interview. And what you'll hear more about, my favorite takeaway from this interview was, dude was in a band before Fire Eater called The Ignobles, this uh, kind of grade school-aged ska band. And they, so op they, they opened for... 
Lenny Kravitz on his very first tour, and also Fugazi. What? Lenny Kravitz and Fugazi <laughs> when this dude was like 13. Can't even imagine. And he's just, I mean, like, I don't know what you say about that when you're like <laughs> older and looking back on it, but he was just like, yeah, yeah, that's a thing that happened. Wow. And here he is now. Here he is now. This was really fun. He's work. He's has several solo albums out since uh, the Walkman went on hiatus. This is a track off of his most r- recent solo album called Reminisce Bar and Grill. Came out earlier this year. This is the very funny uh, barbershop quartet inspired. Went on a solo Australian tour. I went alone on a solo Australian tour. What do you do that? Cause it'd been a while since I'd been out to see the world But it's so far away Yeah, that's true, but long trips are good for me What are they good for? Cause I need time alone to organize my dreams Saw some nice folks and some sunny cities too Who did you meet there? I met a guy who'd been punched in the face by a kangaroo It's true Yeah, I've been uh, reading Meet Me in the Bathroom lately Oh yeah and, I actually uh, haven't read it. I read, <laughs> I read the, uh, I read the excerpts that are online. Okay. I don't know why I haven't read it. I, it's weird. It's like a block. Somebody else asked me why I hadn't read it. I was like, I don't know. I just, it's like a block. Um, but I did enjoy reading the excerpts online. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were. It was nice to hear people talk favorably about Jonathan Fireeater. That always yeah. makes me feel good. Yeah, it's it's cool because I mean I knew. I'm a big fan of the Walkman, uh-huh. so I always knew that Jonathan Fireeater was a thing, but I had no idea of just like the impact because it was before my time and everything. But uh-huh. it was crazy to op- read all about that opening the book. Yeah, yeah, that was a long time ago. That was like, uh, yeah, I mean that band started like with, uh, you know, when we were like, I, mean, I think of it as starting when I was like 12 because Stuart, the singer, and I started doing it when we were 12. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, like doing guitar lessons and playing like uh concerts and stuff like that were you like a could you shred back then were you good no no we took classical guitar lessons i don't know why it was the only guitar lessons that were offered at our school so like nylon string classical guitar learning like you know fingering patterns and stuff like that not really chords um so we sort of just you made like crude chords like like just barring all the way across you know just sort of rhythm we were playing like uh we covered uh, Should I Stay or Should I Go, I remember. Okay, that's girl, a nice simple one. For this girl's birthday party. So it was like, ba na 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 You know, it wasn't like doing the chords. You're sort of... Um, but, you know, we were trying. Yeah. So around that time, you opened on Lenny Kravitz's first tour? <laughs> that was, yeah. That was when we were like in uh, in 10th grade, I think, or 9th grade? 10th grade, I guess. We played... It was me and Matt and Paul, who were all in the Walkman, and... Uh, and Stuart, who was in Jonathan Fire, who was a singer, he played bass, and we had another singer who's a friend of ours. And we played like ska. We were really into, uh, really into like the specials, you know, like okay. obsessively. Uh, so we played played ska, you know, and uh, we were pretty good because we we're all I don't know, we just could kind of do it, and we we're all pretty small, you know. I was actually a little bit taller, but the other guys were very small dudes, so they looked like they're about, you know, nine or ten years old. Um, and so I, we started playing like at the nine thirty club. The old 930 Club in D.C., um, thinking that we were, like, really cool. But I think people just thought that we were... I think the Bookers was, like, a novelty. We didn't realize at the time it was, like, a novelty thing. It was like having School of Rock there. Right. Because we did look very young. We could play. We had, like, rhythm. We were playing ska, and we were wearing, like, gla- like black <laughs> sunglasses and, like, sort of pork pie hats and stuff like that. Um, so we thought it was, like, totally badass. But it was definitely, like, a novelty act. Looking, It took me a long time. I think I was, like, 30 when I realized. I was like, hold on. We were, like, a fucking novelty act. Um, but, yeah, so we got we opened for, like, Lenny Kravitz. It was the first time I'd ever heard of him. We opened for him on his Let Love Rule tour. And we opened for, like, The Selector, which is a ska band that we idolized. And uh, we opened for a lot of people. Um, at the old 930 Club. Like Fugazi and like... You opened for Fugazi? 
We did. We I don't know if we opened for them at the nine thirty club. We opened for them at this place called Summer Stage. I mean, uh, yeah, called Summer Stage. No, that's not called Summer Stage. It's called Fort Reno, which is like uh, an outdoor an outdoor like uh, concert series in the summers. So Soul Side, which was an early incarnation of Girls Against Boys. It was us. We were called the Ignobles. It was Ignobles, Soul Side, and Fugazi, which is a great summer evening. What year was this some, to start that off? Been, that would have been like n- like 90. Wow, that's like 91. core Fugazi. That's mm. when they did like 13 songs, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it was 92. Yeah, it was probably, I was probably like sophomore so it's probably 90 91 92 what was that show like uh great you know it was amazing that we got like that we did it uh it was cool um it was outdoors so you know it's like broad daylight and like our parents were there and like you know I, if i can't remember if it felt like a huge deal like i think it probably kind of felt like a big deal it was more like bragging rights i don't sure actually, you know, I, we do have pictures of that show. I think we're all like modded out, you know, and have like, like a, I, I, I was playing guitar at the time. I think I had a sticker that said Rasta on my guitar. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I can I can see how looking back on that, it's many times more unbelievable than it would have been in the moment when you were just a kid just taking things as they come playing with your friends right. just like yeah we're playing with these bands yeah and we would always forget to get paid i remember it would be like two <laughs> weeks later we'd be like at school and Stu, my friend and i'd be talking and be like we never fucking got paid we used to forget they actually supposed to get paid for this stuff so we'd call the 9 30 club this nice woman lisa white who had booked us be like hey yeah we actually played there like three and a half weeks ago and forgot to get our 50 bucks or whatever and she would always like pay us it was nice. sure <laughs> and like I think we got a nice rhythm here. But let's just like take this chronologically and take us to the present day. This okay. is I'm, I'm interested to hear this. So tell me how this ska band transformed into Jonathan Fire Eater. Well, we uh, we continued. We, we sort of got off ska a little bit, though. I think we played ska until like we were seniors. Um, but we started, I mean, we started playing some really bad stuff. Paul, Paul Maroon, who was a guitar player, Walkman, joined us in uh, ninth grade. And we became a little more sophisticated then. We became like, uh, <laughs> we were playing like really shitty music though. We were playing like funk and stuff like that. We got into like the Red Hot Chili Peppers in a, bad, right. in a bad way. Um, so we played a lot of that kind of stuff. And then, uh, you know, and we played, we did a lot of shows. We, we rehearsed a lot. We played at like all the school dances and we played at like, uh, we played at the 930 Club, I'd say, you know, every couple months or something like that. They would just call us and we'd play some weirdo show opening for somebody. Um, and then, uh, and when it was a different singer, uh, and Stuart, who was the singer of Fire Eater, was the bass man. And, uh, and then at the end of our senior year, we started doing stuff with me, with me and Matt and Paul and with Stu singing. And it felt really cool. It felt like great. We were like, this is actually really awesome. We were, by that point, we had better taste in music. We were, you know, it was very much like, we are, we we're always sort of Rolling Stones-y kind of Beatles, classic rock guys. But then, like, I'd say junior, senior year, I got more, like, Velvet Underground and stuff like that. And so I, I think that, at least in my mind, I was like, okay, this is kind of like the Velvet Underground. This is, like, really cool and, like, kind of dark. Um, and so we started doing that. We did, a, we did a few just, like, shows at, like, friends' parties and stuff like that. It was Stu singing and me and Matt and Paul backing them up. And it felt really cool. I was like, this is great. Uh, and then we all went off to college. Um, and uh, I went to Colorado, but I was only there for like a semester. And then um, everybody else was in college in New York. I thought I didn't want to do the band for a little while. Um, and then as soon as I got to Colorado, I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? I want to do the band. Um, so I immediately went uh, applied to go to school in New York and was there by the second semester. And then that's when Fire Eater really formed. And we, uh, our good friend Tom, who was a, a good friend of Paul's in high school, who was, Paul's actually a year older than me and Stu and Matt, uh, he, uh, um, Paul was very good friends with Tom and Tom is a great musician. He can play anything. He's a classically trained pianist and stuff like that. Um, he became the bass man, even though he's, was never a bass man at all. Um, I think like most bass men, he never really was. Um, but he was a great enthusiast and uh, a really smart guy and uh, a great musician. Um, so that became Fire Eater and we started playing in New York. We all dropped out of college after a year. Uh, and so it's August of 94, moved to uh, Lower East Side, like all five of us living in like a shitty apartment. 
and uh, started doing it. There were a lot of drugs around, at least outside the apartment, right? Yes, there were. Yeah, it was like, you know, it was uh, about a month. We lived on Suffolk Street between uh, Houston and, and Stanton. And about a month after, you know, our parents were not excited about the idea of us mm-hmm. dropping out of school. So it was it was, it was was tough, you know. Uh, just like I didn't, I had about a really, I have great relations with my parents now. And I have for many years. But then it was tricky because they did not get it at all. As I probably wouldn't have. If my daughters did something like that, I would not be happy either. Uh, anyway, about a month after we moved uh, to Suffolk Street, there was a big article in the New York Times about how Clinton and Stanton, which was like a block from us or two blocks from us, was the heroin capital of the country. <laughs> and uh, and so that that didn't go over very well. Um, and uh, yeah, there were drugs everywhere. It was, you know, it was gross. You would, you could, we, it was like a two block walk to our rehearsal space. And you, right when you walk out the door, there are junkies and stuff and there are people offering you drugs, offering you heroin, different kinds of heroin. Uh, and, uh, you know, you get mugged. I, I never got mugged, but Remember Tom got mugged by a junkie on the way home. It was just, it was a different thing. You go to the Lower East Side now and it's, you know, it's very different. Uh, but I remember back then you hear old guys talk about like how, oh, so different back in the 70s. You're like, who gives a shit? But anyway, uh, it, it was it was very different. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was very seedy. And, but, you know, we were 19, so it was thrilling. You know, not that the drugs were thrilling because we weren't doing it. Well, not all of us were doing them. Um, but... Uh, it was thrilling. It just you could drink beer on the streets, so we just had our, you know, every we had a stoop, different stoops that we go to, and we just drink twenty twos of country club malt liquor every single night. So tell me about some of the early shows because I heard so much about like Stewart, what kind of a charismatic and alluring frontman he was, and just like the energy you guys had. Like, what was what, what was it like? Uh, well, we were, you know, uh, we rehearsed a lot. We spent, you know, we rehearsed like every night. I feel like, um, and we. Uh, worked you know right when we got there we recorded an album um because we had a bunch of songs written so like we didn't have a place to live yet we were staying at friends uh, who went to columbia um and we recorded like a 12 song record 10 song record um and then yeah we started doing shows and having i worked at kim's video like and so we could have like sell fire eater cds at kim's video on avenue a um and so like sort of cool people became a little bit aware of like our stuff you know and uh so people started coming to our shows mostly like band people you know people older guy like this band railroad jerk at the time i'm actually still friends with marcellus he actually is an illustrator and, and works on the stuff i do um they were really good they were a few years older than us so we sort of looked up to them and uh there was this band uh the chrome cranks who who were older than us too and just people who are sort of into like the cramps, you know, and that kind of music. And that was sort of like the, you know, the thing is like, if you're into the cramps, then like you're part of our deal. And so that we had like some of those kinds of people coming to our show. And I guess they just told their friends. So it became sort of a, it, it pretty quickly, it became sort of a thing that people were, were coming to. Yeah. And there was a big bidding war around you guys. Yeah, that took a little while. I mean, we put out a, uh, we put out like a, an EP after we put out our first record, we put out like an EP. Uh, that was very small time. Um, but we had like a professional photographer take a picture, which I, we were kind of like that's we felt like we kind of made it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then we then yeah then suddenly yeah then like all the labels for some reason started coming to see us play, and so we um, that that's when we got to you know that's when we got flown out to California and like went to all the labels. I remember actually I was so excited to go out there. I just forgot my luggage. I like, straight up just went to the airport without my luggage. <laughs> And you know, we were just—it was fun. We were—I was nineteen, or I guess I was twenty at that point, and uh, it was—it was very fun. Uh, you know, and we also we got to call our parents and be like, "We're getting offered like a huge record deal with dental insurance." So like, maybe we're not that stupid. Um, and so that felt good. And our parents were kind of like, "Oh, okay, they're actually working and, and being serious about this." Uh, and so that that sort of was nice to have a little bit of uh, peace on that front. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, we went to all the different labels and they, they were really, I, I don't know what they saw because we, we never had like hit kind of stuff, you know, it was, the, it was different. There were people throwing, throwing money at, at bands and, uh, and I, I think they thought we were going to be like Smash Mouth or something, you know, that band? Yeah, I know Smash Mouth. <laughs> just, <laughs> just like Jonathan Fire. Because they had, well, because they had an organ, you know, and they had like, <laughs> bum, bam, bum, bam, bam, and sort of had a, like slightly fifties okay. influence kind of stuff. Even though we didn't really, I don't know. That's that was always our theory. 
um, was like, okay, they, they, they think we're going to be like Smash Mouth, but they're, we definitely were not going to be like Smash Mouth. Um, well. <laughs> so, yeah, they, yeah, it was fun. We were just like, you know, we were just drunk all the time, and it was really fun. What were some of the things the record label people would do to woo you guys when they whined and dined you? I mean, they just put us up in fancy restaurants and put us up in fancy hotels and took us out to fancy restaurants. And like, I remember this one guy saying that he would walk across the Gobi Desert to sign us. <laughs> Literally, he said that. At C- when we were at C- that was in New York at CBGB's. I was like, wow, that's, I'm flattered. Makes me think of that Smash Mouth song, You Might As Well Be Walking on the Sun. Yeah, that was their hit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was very comical to us. We thought it was really... We were obviously excited that something good was going to come out of it, but the process was, like, so comical. Mm-hmm. Just because we were... We are sort of... I don't know. We're, we, we, like... We're, we had a, we all have a sense of humor, so it was very... You know, we were, and we were, like, honestly, at all these lunches and things were always hung over. So we were just, like, felt like schoolboys. We had, like, the giggles, and it was just, like, ridiculous. And our manager was this wonderful but very sort of absurd guy that people just in the industry could not get their head around. So it was this... It was just like comical. Mm-hmm. We'll drop in some music so that people can hear. What do you think is a good song to represent what we're talking about here? Uh, I like the song uh, "When Prince." When Prince was a kid, I'm proud of that one. I'm, uh, um, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, you play the organs. I love the sound of the organs and the keys on those albums. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah, it was a Farfisa. Close enough. <laughs> yeah, Farfisa organ. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's a kind of organ. <laughs> kind of put a bow on fire eater like how would you how would you describe what ended the bands and what moved you onto the walkman um well we started struggling internally because uh Stuart, who is my was my best friend that you know growing up my whole life essentially um we we just sort of grew apart and uh and it hurt the band a lot and so it ended up being that the the four musicians were playing, rehearsing all by ourselves all the time, writing so much instrumental music, and Stu was not coming to rehearsal. Stu and I are on great terms now, and he's a very dear friend. Um, but um, it made it, it, it fucked it up a lot. And so we, you know, we got signed to the major label, and we didn't, we weren't, we didn't really have a, the team was not like full force. So we, um, I, we it didn't it didn't really work. I think we spent too much time on the music probably, and then Stu spent too much time trying to sing over. We it just didn't the album. I, I don't love that album we made. It was called Wolf Songs for Lambs. We spent a lot of time on. It. There are moments on it that I like, but it's pretty. Uh, it doesn't really have much magic to it. Though I I really am very very proud of everything we did before that. Um, and then yeah, it just became it became bad. We were not productive uh, and. We yeah we had like a three record deal so we could have really milked the label and just like kept getting money but we honestly didn't even realize that and our un- unfortunately our manager didn't really either so we just like just broke up severed severed ties with the label and uh, called it quits yeah for the Walkman looking back do you have a favorite Walkman album favorite Walkman album probably is uh probably Bows and Arrows I think okay I think we were doing pretty well then. Yeah, I mean that was the one that had the rat on it. Probably now like the, the most recognizable songs for the casual fans. Yeah, your hit, so to speak. It's our hit for sure. Walkman is or, the rat is such a great song. Oh, thanks. Yeah, what was it like writing that song? Like, take me through your process. Um, I remember very well. I remember um, we were. It was pretty. It was right after we did our first record, and Paul had a, the guitar part came in with the guitar part to our old studio Marcata and it was like um and I had um it just ham was like oh, I'm gonna try singing help the Beatles song on top of it and then I had the idea to I'd been obsessed with like um Joy Division okay and their 
their uh, peel sessions. And they have this version of, uh, what's it called? Transmission, which has, at the end of every round, he goes, and, uh, and so I wanted to try putting that beat on it with that crazy fill. And so we just tried it, and Ham was seeing help, I think, and we we're like, wow, this is fucking awesome. And uh, it took us, it, we finished that part of it pretty quickly which is just the verse you know the verse is kind of like the chorus in that song um because it just sort of like a it's like a cycle and then we had all sorts of we couldn't end it we always struggled with ending so we had all sorts of we had like a key change and an end like a really shitty ending for a while and it was just so <laughs> unsatisfying and because then we finally figured out how to do our key change and get back to the to the main verse and once we did that we we're like okay we're done we're good yeah but we were very proud of that song. I'm still proud of that song, just how extreme it was and how, you know, nasty it, it sounded and just how minor it's like, eh. um, we, we felt very cool playing that song. So as the albums went on with The Walkman, you started to take on more of a songwriting and uh, lyric writing role, right? Yeah, after that record, we sort of, uh, we did like uh, that 100 Miles Off record, which was kind of like, it was right when all the guys, I never moved to Philly, but but Matt and Paul and Pete all moved to Philly. And so it was during that period when we, we did that 100 Miles Off record. I think we wanted to like kick ass. We were trying to really kick ass still, but we weren't like rehearsing all together. It's so like Ham and I were writing uh, in in New York and sometimes going down to Philly and just sort of pieced together, you know, and we were, really wanted to still kick ass. So that's why we had those like shitty hardcore songs and like, I don't know, it was, it was just, it was a transitional phase for us. So I think when that record came out, we were kind of realized that we didn't, that we didn't, weren't very into it uh, and that we were kind of like sort of, we were feeling, it was definitely a low. We were like, we we don't know what we're, you know, are we really going to keep doing this? Because it didn't feel great. Um, and then we um, started doing more, um, honestly, in my mind, it was when we started writing songs in 6-8. Um, and it was Paul who, who pushed that. Um, and I, one of the first ones we did was, I guess, in the new year, uh, even though it does, it kind of rocks, it, it is 6-8. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just a different because I do a lot of like the drum stuff too, and and uh, and so I was always like, when we when he first started playing six eight, because Paul and I spent a lot of time with him playing guitar, and me playing drums, and coming up with parts. And I just couldn't. It was just it just felt weird, you know. It felt like we were not rocking and rolling, uh, and it took me a lot of a while to get used to it. Uh, and then I started really loving it, and like actually the beat for what's it called in the new year, I was like, okay, this is like kind of rocking and rolling, but it's also six eight. Uh, and so then, you know, it, and it changes like the way the lyrics sound and the way the singing the rhythm is, and it it really is a different thing. You're not kicking ass in the same way, um, even though we had done slow songs before. Uh, so we did a lot of six eight on on that you and me record, yeah. And Ham and I started doing the lyrics together. Uh, we decided that we wanted to really focus on on making the lyrics, you know, spending as much time on them as we did on the music. Just sort of, we felt like it, if we're not going to be so like just nasty, kick-ass rock and roll, that we need to have a different kind of you know content, like substance in there. So we felt like we should make the lyrics substantial, uh, and so we started really working on the words. And we did that for all of you and me, and for uh, yeah, Lisbon. We really worked on the words too, um, and yeah. Then our last record, we. Worked on the words, but we had, we're, we're a little misguided at that point. <laughs> <laughs> were you guys starting to think about what was next at that point? Yeah, we were a little frustrated at, 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 by, the, by the time we did Heaven. Um, because we, uh, you know, I, I, it's funny looking back at, at it now. It really seems like, it feels like, I think people think we were like a big band, you know, or like a really successful band. And I think we, you know, we did fine. We did well. Um but we we always there was def there were very few moments 
when we the the five of us would feel like we were not just like struggling. It, mm. it really felt like a struggle. Just because we had five, it was five of us. We split everything equally. There, you know, a lot of time we were living in New York. It's expensive, and it's you know it's hard to stay afloat. Um, and uh, so we always felt a little bit like we were struggling. Um, and you, we got good reviews, which made us feel good. Um, and we would, we could draw a crowd, but like not like. We weren't like ever like we're kicking ass, you know. It was never like high fives. We had always joked. It was just it, we thought it was funny, kind of. Um, well, at least we told ourselves we thought it was funny. Uh, so yeah, by the time like we did Lisbon, we were very proud of it, you know, and we really worked on it, and um, and it didn't it didn't help us that much, um, and it's just you know some of the guys had I didn't have kids at that point. But if I had kids at that point, I probably would have been like, get me the hell out of here um, about the band. Um, so people were good. There was definitely like, we got to either really make this happen or like make this not happen anymore. So, yeah, we, then we did Heaven and we kind of, you know, we hired Phil Eck, who, uh, who produced Fleet Foxes, that they're amazing records um, and who's a, a great producer. Um, just to sort of see what it was like to have somebody in charge uh, mm -hmm. helping us. You know, cause a lot of times we recorded ourselves, you know, and it can be very limiting. Uh, and so we wanted to just, we wanted to sound perfect and to sound like, you know, big and professional. We always felt like our stuff didn't sound professional. <laughs> that was like a very, that was like a big word for us. We're like, yeah, it just doesn't sound very professional. And our, our girlfriends and wives would be like, yeah, it just sounds like sort of fuzzy. <laughs> I remember my wife saying that so many times. She's like, sounds like you have like earmuffs on when you're listening to it. And I was like, yeah, I know. It's, I don't know what it is. Um, so we wanted to like eliminate that. And, um, uh, so yeah, we got Phil Eck to produce it, and then we we wanted to have we, we wanted to have like a single. We wanted to have we wanted to like, so that's when we wrote like some really shitty songs, um, where we could have like, it was definitely a conscious decision because I was doing all the drum stuff. I was like, we're gonna put snare on the two and four, and uh, we're gonna have every chorus is gonna have the same lyric repeated, mm -hmm. which is you know pretty basic basic stuff. Are you talking shit on some of the songs that made it onto the final album? Uh, yeah, I probably will. I mean, I think I, I think any, all the guys in the band would agree. Really? Well, I mean, you know, but there's some of them that I I really I really like the title track, um, but there's some there's some of it that like we didn't have our hearts into. We were trying mm -hmm. to like, you know, we were trying to be. I don't know how much I think if any if you ask any of the five of us about that record, I don't think there's tons of love for it. Hmm. Um, also, we weren't as it wasn't as hands on because we sort of passed it over to Phil um, to take over. Um, so, yeah. So when it wasn't like you know that song Heaven, people liked that song, and I actually loved the video for that song, um, which had a lot of old pictures of us um, growing up as musicians, um, and I thought that really captured the spirit of the Walkman very well because it's very like nostalgic and sappy, and we all are very much like that. And and that uh, that I really liked that video. Um, and uh, I thought that was a good way for us to end. So after that, we were just like, yeah, let's, let's like just not make another record. <laughs> was there a moment where you decided to put the Walkman on hiatus or was it more just a gradual thing? Well, we finished the touring. I had, a, I had a, my first child right during the, I had sort of the tail end of the Heaven tour. And, um, and, I, from my perspective, I just felt like I didn't, I didn't want to, like, we toured a lot, you know, and I toured from, with the old band too, like, and it was, I just didn't want to go on tour anymore, especially with a kid at home. I just, it was, it sounded like the last thing in the world I wanted to do. Uh, so Ham and I, you know, at this point, only Ham and I were the only ones living in New York. So we were, we still had, we had a rehearsal space in, in Greenpoint and we were going and, and like, just as we always do, we would just like go in every day and like work on stuff. And then we were just talking about like, you know, we had talked about it before, like not doing it. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then we just kind of decided not to do it, <laughs> not to do it anymore. Well, I told him I, I had the idea to make a kids record, so I told him that. So I would go in some days by myself to work on it, and then, uh, and then, yeah, he decided to do a record, and then we were like, let's, yeah, let's just see what happens with that. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Personally, did you feel like you had just all these ideas for solo music festering all along, like all these years in the Walkman that you could finally let out? Uh, no, not really. No, it was more like I, I was so used to going in and writing every day. Uh, and I I felt like I had, the as far as the craft of like writing lyrics and like uh, putting together songs, I, I felt like I'd done it long enough that I really ha- had that. So I just really wanted to, to you know, I, I really wanted to figure out if there's a way I could do it where I was singing, even though I'm, I'm a pretty shitty singer. I remembered that our, a lot of the singers that I like are pretty shitty singers, and I was like, maybe I can just kind of do what they do and just kind of just, you know, be yourself and try to be funny. Yeah, so you mentioned early interests as the Walkman were still going and doing a kid's record, and now you've made a couple. So where where does that interest come from? Uh, it comes from, I think that, uh, I think I was drawn to it just because it was so different, you know? It just felt like... Um, it felt like the opposite of everything I'd done before, like being in the cool band kind of thing. And uh, there's so much cool involved in being in a band and in rock and roll. Uh, and I just felt like I wanted to uh, to do something that's sort of profoundly uncool and that's entirely like lyric lyric driven. That without without total clarity in all of your words, um, it doesn't really work. Uh, and so it, I it just sort of, you know, it's like I'm like a record collector, nerd record guy. And uh, I really like, you know, I like tons of stuff, but I really love um, like 50s music, like coasters and like Lieber and Stoller kind of music. Um, and I always have. Um, and, and yeah, and just listening to that stuff, it, to me, it sounded like if I record, if I made music like that, I never planned to make like ABCs kind of like tie your shoelace kind of music. Uh, I just thought I could make sort of whimsical 50s kind of music and sing in my normal voice and try to be funny and that I could call it a kid's record and I was like that sounds like a great idea <laughs> so I did it Rattlesnakes We're not like all the other snakes Rattlesnakes We got musical tales that we shake we shake, shake, shake them while you clap your hands We don't want to bite you All we really want to do is dance All the other snakes don't understand On the new album, When Alone on a Solo Australian Tour That oh, song's yeah. awesome, I love that song Oh thanks, yeah It's so funny with the back and forth, the dialogue You did the barbershop quartet on right, uh, yeah, yeah. the NPR Tiny Desk Yeah show yeah take me through that song was there really a trip to australia yes that's everything in that song is true i went to australia by myself they booked me um to do uh to play at the sydney opera house play it's like the family day at the um the vivid live festival which is like a festival they do every year in sydney so i was like yeah sure because they're paying me well and i was like great going to australia and i just loved the idea of like just having my stupid like a guitar and like a bag <laughs> and like just going by myself it really seemed like a like a cartoon um so i uh you know and also at that point like i had two kids at home and it's home is kind of hectic and i hadn't been on tour for a while i hadn't like left like new york in a while and i was like i mean honestly i feel like i'm saying the words of the song because that's what it's about it's all very true so i figured it'd be nice to just go on a solo mission and i honestly was really hoping that i could try to write songs while i was gone um so yeah i went over there and played played in melbourne and brisbane and then i uh 
went to Sydney and played, and I played like solo shows, as I say in song, played like solo shows and they were like very unattended, but there were some people there and uh, I got some good laughs. So, um, and then I did the, the Sydney Opera House show mm-hmm. and it was very comical because, uh, you know, they had their like cockatoo, life-size, like, I mean, human-sized like cockatoos and like weird animals on stage and <laughs> just like, what the hell am I doing here? Uh, it's just very funny. I honestly could have probably walked off stage during the show, and no, like the it wouldn't have affected the concert at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a re- I rehearsed with the band. Like I had a lot. Of, the song was originally a lot longer because there's a lot of very funny stuff that happened over there. I rehearsed with the band like the day before, and they were you know it's like an hour and a half of songs with like a quick rehearsal the day before. So you know. They were not very well rehearsed, um, so it was yeah, it was definitely comical. But I was by myself, so I'm used to being like with the boys, like with the Walkman. Like there's plenty of ridiculous comical stuff that happens, and you're always like laughing at each other. But I was just by myself, just kind of like this is just comical. So I would. Um, so when I got home, I sort of wanted just to write about all the funny stuff that happened. <laughs> Well, I was getting to that. Did you make any money? Yeah, I did fine, actually. Did you make any friends? Yeah, I did. I met some really great people down there. Did you write any songs? Um, just this one, really. How was your show at the Sydney Opera House? Oh, it was great. You know, it was amazing to play there. Did you have a band? Yeah, I had a band just for that one show, um, and all the rest were solo shows. Did anyone come to your solo shows? I mean, not really, but I still enjoyed them. Yeah, and take me through the rest of the experiences that brought you to the, your newer solo album, the one that came out this year. I guess your family also played a big role in it. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I did that that first kids record, and uh, and it did well for me, you know. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, "This is great! Like, I'm making a living doing this on my own." Um, and then I put out. Um, I put out like a like an album about art history. Mm-hmm. It was it was very much in the same vein, uh, and it got good press. Um, but it didn't uh, it didn't like help me out a ton. <clears throat> um, but I really liked writing uh, sort of autobiographical stuff. I just never thought thought I could write autobiographical stuff before, and so I had a song on that art history record about like all the jobs I had when I was younger, uh, and I. I was excited that I could write something that was actually true and autobiographical and kind of funny. Uh, and so I just, I, I liked, I just wanted to do more of that. So I started writing, after I finished that Arts and Leisure record, I started to work on these songs. Just like, just about being a musician and about, you know, some of it's serious and some of it's about friends, but there's, you know, and I just try to keep it true to life and, and entertaining. And usually there's something funny funny idea even in a serious song just because that's the way i kind of think i think yeah reminisce bar and grill the name of the album uh yeah i just really liked that title i had actually had that title for like a few years and i was like just i wanted it was originally gonna be a country record like uh, i thought it was such a good name for a country album um but then like sitting down actually writing i still actually i'm I'm thinking about doing country record now but um I, i it didn't end up being a country record um I just like the title. I like how it was sort of nostalgic and sort of, uh, and also funny. I like having the word grill in an album title. Yeah. <laughs> that, is a, that is pretty funny. <laughs> and I can see the country connection too. Yeah. And amidst all the humor I've read in like interviews you've done and just in the lyrics, like you're musing on the end of life too in that album. Uh, yeah. I just sort of wanted to talk about the things that guys my age think about and, uh, you know, and I know for uh, just in talking to my friends that, stuff, I mean, especially when you have kids, you start to, you know, you start to worry about your health and like dying a lot. Um, I mean, I think that everybody worries about that. Uh, and I just, you know, it's sort of, I just wanted to write about it. I thought it would be funny. Mm. <laughs> and about exercising. I wanted to write about my half assed uh, attempts to exercise. So I have a song about exercising. What's another good one you think reps the album to drop in for the listeners? Uh, uh, I like the, yeah, the Australian one. I think it's probably my favorite one. Uh, I, the first song is about my friend Mylan, who's a songwriter too. Uh, and I get a little complaining about like money stuff in that, which I thought was funny. 
Um, what I, I like the one "I'm a Puppy." That's like the, my uh, sort of romantic song. Um, slow jam. We'll do that one. I'm a puppy. Okay. So it had better be true, cause I'm a puppy. But that's why you love me. Yeah. So aside from the the new album. What else is going on for you? Because uh, you do music and songwriting for TV and film, right? Yeah, I've been doing a lot of that in the last year. Uh, so I've been very busy with that, and it's great. It's sort of like, sort of like having a day job, uh, and I, it, it allows me to not go on tour, um, which is the the thing that I really love about it. But I also love the process of it. I like writing different kinds of things, and uh, it's all you know. I have a studio in Gowanus. So I just go there every day and work on. Um, I've been that recently. I've been doing a ton of that. I've been wanting to work on a new record of, of my own stuff because I have uh, I have a bunch of, of songs, um, but I haven't been able to to lock it in or even to figure out well, what kind of record I want to make. But um, but yeah, it's been it's been great. I, I I'm trying to desperately to avoid going on tour. Though I'm going to Alaska um, for a one off uh, next week actually. All right. Yeah, to Anchorage, to the University of Anchorage. Just kind of like my Australia thing. But I think I've jinxed it with the Australia thing. I'm not going to get a funny song out of the Alaska trip. Well, let's see what happens. We'll see. What is what is the show like? What, what, tell me about it. Uh, I really don't know. Uh, it's All I know is it's at the uh, University of Alaska in Anchorage, and I've never been there before. Uh, and I play at 6.30 p.m. Very cool. For the listeners, <laughs> there it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> To, to get information, we'll, we'll, throw, we'll throw that into the into yeah. the uh, the, uh, the description. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. It's, it sounds like all of this. If you trace your life in music and just like guess your life in general, because that's what you do. If you trace it all the way back, it seems like it goes back to that decision to drop out of college and piss off your parents. Uh, I think it does. You know, I never. I yeah. It was that was sort of like I didn't put that much thought into that decision. It's funny. Um, but because I, I never thought I would do music professionally, yeah. In, in like senior year in high school, I remember talking to my friend Stuart about it, the guy who became the Fire Eater singer, and he was like, "Yeah, we should just do like do music." And I was like, "Yeah, we can't just like what are you talking about? We can't like do music." Um, but uh, I'm glad that I realized that I should do that because I certainly don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> And a bunch of friends that you made in those days seem like they've popped up on your your solo albums, like Karen and Nick from the Yeah Yeah Yeah, yeah. Matt from the National. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I actually went to college with Nick. Nick, well, I was only there for a semester um, at Bard right before we dropped out of school. But I, I was I got recruited to be like on the like sort of rock and roll softball team with all the guys who are in bands. Oh, all right. And I was I could actually play baseball because I was like I played baseball and I was a kid. Oh yeah, Nick seems like a total jock. <laughs> yeah, no, Nick was a, I was a pitcher and Nick was the catcher. <laughs> All right, and you got to like be able to do some baseball in order to play catcher. Yeah, he didn't though. He literally it sounds like a like something out of a movie, but he had like a camera around his neck and was just like smoking and absent-minded. He was not a very good catcher. We were not a very good team, but that's how I got that's how I got to know Nick. And then he then he moved to Brooklyn when I I you know in the he moved there after school. I guess he moved there in the late 90s, so we became buddies then. Very cool. I'm trying to see if there's anything else I wanted to touch on. We covered a lot. I mean, do you think the Walkman could get together and do stuff anytime soon? I don't think so. I, I doubt it. You know, I think we all are very much enjoying um, not doing it. Uh, uh, I think everybody's really, in, I feel like everybody in the, all five of us are doing sort of it really makes sense what we're all doing. And, and uh, I, I think everybody, as far as I can tell, at least they say, uh, is happy in what they're doing. Um, so I, I don't, we did it for a long time. I don't, I don't think, I, 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 we certainly, I, would, uh, I can't imagine doing it again. I can't, I, I would be, especially can't imagine like sitting down and writing songs together again. I think we sort of are out of, it'd be like getting back together with like, a, like your girlfriend from high school or something. You know, it's just kind of, 
that chapter is, is sure. done. Um, but we're all good buddies, you know. I was actually texting with Paul on the way here, and Ham's my cousin, so he he we he and I still live in Brooklyn, so I see him all the time. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're we're a close gang. We just don't want to do music together anymore. Well, sounds like sounds like you guys came out and you're happy now. That's great. I mean, a lot of bands don't end that way. No, it is nice. I'm proud of that. Yeah, they're good guys. You know, we're you know we're all we're all like very like. I don't know, normal, respectful people. <laughs> at least <laughs> at least I think. And so, you know, we're normal and respectful to each other. Yeah, that was fun. Thank you, Walter. Thank you for the stories. Thank you for coming by. That was a fun hang. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. I It's one of those interviews where I just enjoyed so much going into this person's life throughout music and just how different music scenes and different collaborations and all these fun stories have followed them through their life and seeing where it got Walter to where he is now with the solo music. His new album is called Reminisce Bar and Grill. Came out earlier this year. Go check it out. That very, very funny song about going to Australia is on that album along with a bunch of others. And I think his his sense of humor really shines through on that album. We were talking at the top of the show about his old buddy, Albert Hammond Jr. from The Strokes on a previous episode. You can hear that conversation on uh, Alternative Facts by searching for the show wherever it is you get your podcasts, iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, wherever you get your shows, wherever you get your podcasts, search for hashtag Alternative Facts. It's all one word. You can find the Albert Hammond Jr. episode and all the other episodes in the archives. And you can also subscribe to the show there. We drop usually at least once a week, sometimes more than once a week on all different days. Make sure you get every episode automatically by hitting the subscribe button. And also, feedback. Feedback is awesome. Give us a star rating. Write in whatever you like, don't like about the show. It really does help a lot with everything we do at Alternative Facts. My name is Chris Payne. I'm your host with this show every week. You can find me on Twitter at plane. I'm always dropping in little things about what I'm doing at Billboard. I also write for the website and the magazine. But my favorite thing probably is hosting the show. And I'm always, I'm always giving hints about what's coming next. So... Until then, I'll catch you next time. Bye, guys. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.